Good evening. Hope you had a great day. Hope you're having a great week. I'm a bit exhausted, if I'm honest. Um, grateful for the team, though, preparing us again to be in the presence of God and to hear from him. And grateful for Austin. Dude, you've been hooking me up all week long, muting me when I needed to be muted and unmuting me when I needed to be unmuted. Thanks for not unmuting me during worship. That would not be good for anybody. Amen. Thank you. Uh-huh. Nice. Okay, so here, let's, I want you to do this with me. I want you to just, uh, just for a minute, imagine, imagine in your mind, picture a, a quiet pond with a low branch across the water and three frogs on that branch. Nothing exceptional about the branch or the frogs, just three regular frogs on a branch, low branch across the water. You got that image in your mind? Okay. Now, a short time later, two frogs decide to jump in the water. So the image you have in your mind now, you still have that low branch and you still have that quiet pond, but how many frogs are now on the branch? Math majors, you should be all over this. Come on. How, how many? How, how, one? No. It's three. Here's why. Deciding is not doing. Deciding is not doing And you may have decided to follow Jesus, but it doesn't actually mean you are. You may know you're supposed to do his will, but it doesn't mean you actually are. Deciding is not doing. It requires action to live into the decision. It requires obedience. If all we do is decide, it just stays at decision and belief, and we don't actually leave the branch, it's just a decision. And many people make decisions for Jesus, but never live fully into it. And never live into his will. So deciding is not doing. So it's three frogs. Gotcha. Feel free to tell that one to anybody you want. Now, when we, defy, when we actually decide to follow Jesus, we predetermine to obey. Okay, when you say, Jesus, be my Lord, you give your life to him, you predetermine to obey. Therefore, the question and issue is not if we will obey, if we will do his will. The question is how do we do his will? You predetermine it. And if you're sitting in a posture of trying to figure out and kind of ebb and flow and guess if and when you're going to obey what he said, you've only decided you've not actually lived into following him. And I got news for you, your heart has already moved. Because it's an issue of lordship. When When we receive Jesus as Lord, we predetermine to obey. I said this before, I'm gonna say it again. It is optional to become a Christian but obedience afterward is not. Deciding is not doing. It requires a follow-up action. Proverbs 16, 9 says, in his heart a man plans his course. So in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. That's a subject of lordship. It's It's the authority, it's the submission, it's the positioning to let him direct so we listen and obey. And that's something that I've had to work on over and over and over in my life. And every day I wake up and make a, recomm- not a recommitment, but a, a renewed decision to submit and obey. Because in my heart and my flesh, I want to drift. I want to take control. In my insecurity, and in my confidence, I want to drift and I want to pull out of dependence in my flesh. But in my heart and in my love for my Lord, I want to stay in dependence, in full dependence. But that's a daily decision. Uh, even decisions through the day. 
Now, it's been great to be with you. As much as I have enjoyed this, I have a job and family at home. <laughs> In fact, I want to show you a picture of my family. Uh, this is uh, my wife, Beth, there sitting next to me on the bench. My son, Joshua, who's a student here down, on the, down beside Beth. And then my, my youngest son, Daniel, on the bench beside me. This is probably my favorite picture for us as a family. In fact, we hired a professional photographer to take pictures as a family uh, a a while back, and and she put us in all these different poses, and this thing happened, we were just goofing around, and it's just my favorite picture, because we were just being ourselves. And one of the reasons that I am so committed to making sure my heart is aligned and making sure my stuff is where it's supposed to be and making sure I know, love, trust, and obey and making sure I have channel markers lined up is because... The decisions I make ripple into all three of those individuals. And it matters. And independence always costs something, but God always rewards dependence. Now, before I go any further, I need to resolve something, and this is a rather pressing issue for me, and it's rooted in some serious and significant confusion. Look, people, this is not a picture of me. It's not a picture of anything. <laughs> this is not a picture of me. <laughs> that is a picture of Chris Daughtry. And we look nothing alike. So, <laughs> knock off the references, people. It's ridiculous. I actually have a buddy, really dear friend of mine, who calls me Shatri, putting Sean and Daughtry together. It's hilarious. All right, here we go on a more serious, on to more serious things. With me? Okay, this week we've talked about a number of things that can help us or hurt us in our pursuit of knowing and doing the will of God. And if God has spoke to you along the way and you have made a decision and a choice in response to that, I celebrate it. If you have stepped, if you have jumped, if you have let go, if you have risked, released, responded, I love it. But here's the deal. you got to move past decision. you got to move to action. Deciding is not doing. you got to move past that moment. you got to move past that clarity. And you got to lead into that demonstration of love and obedience. Because if you don't, it stops at a decision. And that whole moment almost becomes meaningless. And then God has to take a moment to decide whether he's going to give us another opportunity by reteaching and retraining or whether he's going to move on. But he usually doesn't call us into more until we are faithful in obedience with the thing in front of us. So I celebrate if God has moved in you and you made that choice along the way to respond in some way, but you got to go on to the next step. It's incomplete. Don't just decide, act. When we obey, then we get to know him more. I've loved hearing the stories all week long, just how God's speaking and moving. And let me just tell you, I told this to several people. If you walk into a setting like this and you leave from this time having received something from the Lord, something that is changing and transforming in you, if you receive something from him, it is at least 50% because of you. At least. Not me. You. Because you had eyes to see and ears to hear what God was wanting to say. You say, here am I, Lord, teach me, tell me what you want me to know. That's a posture of dependence. And the more you do that, the more he'll speak. 
And the more you respond in obedience to what he says, the more he'll show you. The more you are faithful in working through the problems and complexities of life in the posture of dependency, he'll give you more problems and complexities because you're faithful enough to endure them in a manner where he gets glory. So don't be afraid of the complexity. Don't be afraid of the problems. Don't be afraid of the trouble. Jesus said we will have trouble in this world. But he's overcome the world. So here's the deal. Tonight, we're going to revisit the pattern we discussed this morning. We're going to go a bit further down in that journey. And, and since that there is a spiritual battle and, and we know we have an enemy, I would be remiss if, if I didn't take time to make sure we understood how it works. God has a pattern. Satan has a pattern. And when we don't know it, we're more vulnerable to it. Now, if you would, permit me for just a moment, I would like to use a military metaphor. I am a U.S. Army veteran, and this stuff just makes sense to me. So here we go. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. Don't worry about it. Okay, so here we go. Anybody know what this is? Ever seen this before? Raise your hand if you've seen this before. Raise your hand high if you know what this is. Okay, I got Dr. Bray down here squirming just a little bit. Don't worry, sir, this is a, a replica. This is a replica of an M18A1. Command detonated directional anti-personnel mine. It is designed to launch 700 steel balls anywhere from 50 to 250 meters in a 60-degree angle to the front against personnel and vehicles. It's a devastating weapon. It's named after a Scottish medieval broadsword. Anybody know the name? Shout it out. Claymore. Claymore. Oh, all you modern warfare boys, you're like, I'm on it. <laughs> I got boys. I know how that works. Now, the reason I share this with you is because I love the simplicity of the military and its instructions. The military has this principle called a KISS principle. Ever heard of it? KISS, K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, sir. Keep it simple, stupid. Depends on who you're talking to. Keep it simple, sir. All right? Now, here's what I love about the, the Claymore mine. On the very front of it, it has the most important instructions. And it's just written right on the front of all of them. And there's a picture so you can see it. You see what it says? <laughs> front toward enemy. Front toward enemy. Duh. But it's really important. And it's KISS. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, sir. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to KISS. We're going to keep it simple. So I want you to turn to somebody. And you're not going to KISS smooch them. You're going to keep it simple. K-I-S-S. Some of those, some of you guys are already turning and kissing each other. Don't do that. Okay. That's not what we're doing. We're going to keep it simple, sir. I want you to turn to somebody. I want you to fist bump because we're not passing germs around. We're going to fist bump. And I want you to say, you are not my enemy. All right, good. Now, some of you did that, then kissed. Whatever, stop the kissing. Now, turn back to that person and say, I am not your enemy. Now, look around the room again. We did this this morning, but this is so important. It's so significant. Look around the room. Do you, look around. Everybody you see, every face you know and don't know, you do not, even if you can't see them because they're behind somebody else, you do not see your enemy. Not even if a person in this space has hurt you deeply. Not if a person in this space has betrayed you, treated you unfairly. They are not your enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is in the spiritual world. 
Now sometimes it may feel like flesh, it may feel like flesh because the spiritual plays out in the physical, I get that. We experience it in the natural, but it is a supernatural battlefield. More on that later, but I share this with you because it's important to make sure that we are oriented and have oriented ourselves toward the right enemy. You're not sitting next to the enemy. You're not attending a university with the enemy. You're not even sitting in your family space with an enemy. Even if that person doesn't love Jesus and they treat you poorly, even if that person has betrayed your trust and harmed you, abused you, they're not your enemy. Somewhere along the way, they fell to the pattern of Satan, and they believed a lie, and it led them to the place where they would harm somebody else. Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 12. 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In his mighty what? His mighty power, not yours, not ours. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, his pattern, his pattern. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to what? To stand. Not to spin in a cycle, in a downward cycle that leads to killing and destroying. We need to know who our enemy is. And that's kind of what we talked about this morning, and I'm reminding you back again tonight, but it's even more important and actually more helpful to know, to know that enemy, to know how they think, to know how they work. And it's even better to know ourselves along the way as well. There was a great military thinker, brilliant tactician, a Chinese man named Sun Tzu, wrote a lot about warfare, and he said this. He said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will suffer a defeat. And if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Listen, dude wasn't a Christian, but that's true. And he's talking about the physical battle, like literal warfare, but it applies to spiritual battle as well. And he goes on to say this. So it is said that if you know your enemies and know yourself, you can win in a hundred battles without a single loss. He's right. In the spiritual dynamic, when we understand who we are and we understand how the enemy works and we position ourselves in, dependence, in full dependence on God, we can live in victory. Now, we cannot expect to be talking about the will of God and think that Satan's going to sit back and not mess with us. He's going to. He has been. Some of you have had a, a sense of a, just a greater spiritual battle this week as you've leaned into responding to what God's asking you to do. On one hand, that gets really irritating and frustrating. Every time I step into what I know God wants me to do, some kind of garbage pops up in the drama of people. And people have drama, but often that drama is connected to some spiritual reality. And it gets really irritating, like I'm doing the right thing and this crap is sitting here. But at the same time, it can be affirming. <laughs> Because if I wasn't doing something worth being attacked, I'm not living my life the way I want to live my life. I'm not. When we're doing the will of God, Satan wants to stop that. He wants to mess with it. You just got to make sure you got the front towards the enemy and not turning it towards people. But it's so easy to do that because it all plays out in the physical. It's in the scene. 
And we can blame people, point fingers, cut people off, remove people, hurt them, you name it. All justified in our own isolation, fear, and victim mentality reality, which we're going to get to here in a second again. So here we go. That's the reason, this whole thing, that's the reason I'm choosing to end my summit investment tonight and earlier this morning around talking, talking about Satan's pattern. Maybe seem, it may be like, why? Weird, this is odd, you're kind of ending here, but this is the deal. I, I, it is in my heart's desire this week that I would not just turn and give you a fish, but that I would position you knowing how to fish. I would teach you to fish, not give you a fish. When it comes to the will of God, I could tell you, to, like, here's a specific action, I would rather teach you the principle so you can go and figure it out and work through it. Because doing the will of God is an ongoing, repetitive, over and over and over process. It's risking, releasing, responding. It's submitting and depending. It's realigning the heart when it starts to drift. It's making sure to remind ourselves, you know what, who the real enemy is, it's not that person who just said that about me or did that to me. So my heart's desire has been to position you to actually fish, not just give you one. So here we go, let me just review this for a second because there's some pieces to what we talked about this morning that we didn't talk about. But let me back up for just a moment and start with the reality that we as people, uh, God creates us and he gives us an identity. Our identity is really determined um, in who we are and what we do. So we are created in his image with purpose, so our being leads to doing. Not our doing leads to our being. So too many people in faith are like, I gotta do something in order to become something. I gotta get myself cleaned up in order to be uh, in right relationship with God. No, you just need to come to Jesus. Let him create and beat your being, like who you are, and let your being lead to doing. And that all connects to our identity. Now. We don't just have an identity. We're not just a person. What God has actually done is he invites us and even places us in the context of community. In that community, our identity is, is preserved, shaped, influenced, because community is a source of truth and accountability. When we live in the context of community, healthy community, Christ-like community, truth and accountability prevail and it helps keep our identity where it should be. And our identity doesn't drift because what is really going to happen is the enemy then starts to bring the what? The D's, right? Doubt, discouragement, and despair. When he's doing that, he's directly attacking identity. He's presenting a half-truth or a full, flat-out lie, and he wants us to embrace the D. If he can get us to embrace the D... If he can get us to turn our head outside of truth and accountability and community, the moment we embrace the D, we move towards and into isolation, move down and in towards fear, and what's the last one? Come on. There we go. Victim mentality. Whenever you embrace a D, doubt, discouragement, despair, deception, delay, the moment you say yes, you end up in one of these three locations, one of them. But then his goal isn't to keep us there. He wants to keep us in the cycle of running and running and running. I'm alone, so I'm afraid it's going to happen to me as a victim. I've been a victim before, and I'm afraid of some, what, that pain might come back, so I'm going to isolate myself. And we end up in this justification. And again, isolation is not solitude. Solitude is pulling back from busyness of life to chase the things of God. Isolation is pulling back from healthy relationship because we think we're better on our own. Nobody cares. I'm alone. That's isolation. Fear, it's not holy, reverent fear. It's that fear, worry, anxiety of what might happen. No place in the life of the believer. We've not been given a spear, but one of power, power of love and self-control. And that victim mentality, that's not victimization. Victimization happens all the time. 
People wrong us, people hurt us, people abuse us. Victim mentality is that entitlement. The world is something. We deserve better. We weren't honored enough, recognized enough. And it all centers our identity on what we experience, not our identity on Jesus. But again, hang with me. This is not just a circle. This is a downward spiral where we continue to go down and down and down until we get towards the bottom in his ultimate play. Now, his ultimate play, because, because he is the, the one, the thief, who seeks to steal, he steals when the, the truth, and that half-truth or lie, he compromises the truth when he steals, but then he seeks to kill and destroy. Kill is towards self. Destroy is toward others. Hang with me. I know I'm reviewing for those of you here this morning. Hang with me. Killing self. This is suicide. One of his ultimate plays is to position us to choose suicide. Since he can't kill the creator. And here's the deal. Satan doesn't give a rip about you. He doesn't care anything about you. He hates God. He wants to hurt the heart of God. So he does this to do that. And since he can't kill the creator, the next best best thing he can do is to get the creation to kill the image of the creator in itself. If you've ever struggled and contemplated suicide, you know somebody that's been there. If you walk the journey back, you will find a downward spiral of isolation, fear, and victim mentality all rooted in a half-truth or a lie and a D, in an identity that's been compromised out of that lie. You also find an absence of truth and accountability in community. Now, it doesn't have to mean death in the sense of physical, like, killing self. It can be a defeated death. Like, it's just a, I don't try anymore. I'm defeated. I'm done. On the flip side, and this is where I think this gets more interesting for me, is the other's reality. See, if we don't get down here and we're self-abasing and self-destructing here, he'll shift our thinking over to others because this whole thing feels pretty crappy to us and we've got to have somebody to blame. And we certainly don't blame us because we think we're in the right. The longer we stay in this cycle, the harder it is to get out. It's like quicksand. The longer we stay in, the deeper we go, the harder it is to get out. It's not because it requires more to get out or the cost is greater to get out. It's because we develop habits in the downward spiral that are much harder to break. And we believe more and more lies that bury us deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's not just one lie to break, it's multiple lies to break. Now, I told you this morning, the way that we get out of this is not willpower. You can't just say, look, I'm done, I'm sick of this, I'm tired of, I'm tired of just despairing, I'm tired of the depression, I'm tired of the garbage, I'm not, I'm not going to go anymore, I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps and just go. Well, great, that's, that's not bad, but the reality is at best it's just going to stop and hold you at that point. You're, it just, it's going to slow or stop the downward trajectory. It's not going to create an upward trajectory. It's the lie that leads us in. It's truth that leads us out. And what you really need to do is to position yourself in a context where you embrace truth. First, Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life. So we can be simply just embracing him and positioning heart back to authority. And he has authority and he's in charge. But also scripture. That you're not a victim or more than conquerors in Christ. 
But the longer we stay in this, the harder it is to break out because when we get down to the bottom, we often have other, other people's spirals adding in and then we feel even more justified. And the more people we have feeding in, the more momentum it gets. It just gets harder. It doesn't, doesn't cost anything more to get out. It's the same thing to get out. It's just harder because of the habits and the depth of the deception that we're in. But here's where this gets really interesting for me. And I have sadly encountered this. And I got to tell you, I never wanted to be a pastor. Never. At the age, my dad was a pastor and my dad is awesome. He's one of my best friends. It was the church. I hated seeing behind the curtain, man. It sucked. So I treated my dad. I saw the garbage and... And I loved Jesus. I said, and I, at the age of nine, I prayed a prayer. I said, Jesus, I, I will follow you wherever you want me to go. I just won't be a pastor. Yeah, and I think he laughed. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. But here's the deal. I had, I had chosen to follow him in an early age, so I had predetermined to obey him. But I was trying to hedge my bets. I was trying to take a little bit of independence to control because I was certain that I should never be a pastor. And I was insecure in my ability to stand in front of people and do anything because I'm an introvert. So I was taking independent posture rather than dependent posture. But he allowed me in a bit of permissive will to stay in his channel. And so I ended up, I went to college, Wheaton. I went into the military. I went into law enforcement after that. And I'll tell you something. In the military, God taught me to lead with excellence. The military has standards. He just taught me to lead with excellence. But in law enforcement, he taught me to lead with courage and grace. You can't walk into a bar fight and hide in a corner as a state trooper. They just they frown on that, apparently. You can't do that. You need courage. But grace was the thing that I had. See, I, I had made a decision for Jesus when I was very young. And, and my world was very black and white. And it was like right, wrong, right, wrong. And very little grace and understanding for how somebody could fall into what I didn't understand was this, but this reality. And, and I remember the day where I had arrested a man for a very heinous crime, gross crime. And I was preparing to fingerprint him, and he was sitting over here, and he was handcuffed just waiting for me to finish and get ready. And I felt the God speaking to me, and I've not heard God speak to me uh, multiple times audibly, but more head and heart. And in that space, I, I, I felt I, I heard him very directly speaking to me, saying, Sean, you know what? The difference between you and him, you and him, is the thin covering of the blood of my son Jesus. You could be him. But it is my, by my grace that I protected you from yourself for my purpose. And I give you my power, not for your purpose, but mine. Rocked me. <laughs> the dude wanted to know why the trooper was crying at the fingerprinting stand. <laughs> Told him because he, he was a jerk. No, I didn't. Actually, an interesting thing, shortly thereafter that, God started transitioning me out of law enforcement and ministry. It was a thing I needed to learn to be the leader he needed me to be in ministry. The crazy thing is, once I stepped into ministry, <laughs> so I learned to lead with excellence in the military, I learned to lead with courage and grace in the, the law enforcement, and then when I became a pastor, <laughs> he, he, he taught me how to lead out of brokenness. He rocked my world. He rocked my world, and I experienced all the crap I was afraid of when I was nine. The, the, the backbiting, the pain, the, the rejection, the, the, the people who would love you, love you, love you, and then leave saying you sucked. <laughs> and he let, me, he let me in a different spiral, a healthy spiral, to the point where I got down to the point I had nothing left. I, I was so broken. I was crushed. I wasn't shattered. I was crushed. And it was at the very bottom of that I had nothing left in me that that he began to show me that I, 
I don't need to protect myself in this life. But he is my deliverer. And so from that point forward, with starts and stops, because I'm human, I have sought as an introvert who is inherently insecure to risk and release and respond, knowing that it is God who is my deliverer. So when I risk and release and respond and the other person on the other end does something that hurts me, that does something that is unfair and unkind that I can still love and I don't have to pull back in isolation and fear and victim mentality and justify some kind of lie and just spiral down where I become somebody who is destructive in the kingdom of God. Because here's, hap- here's what happens. This is the aha moment of, of this reality. This other's peace, this is where Satan seeks to position us to, to blame other people for our problem, to harm other people in response to our pain in the sense of like they deserve it. But it's, so it's blame, harm, but then it's remove. Remove. And here's how this plays out in the church, and it breaks my heart. Every time I experience it, it just, it's so stinking irritating. A person who gets to this point in the church and they blame leadership in the church for the problem that they're sitting in, they will seek to remove that leader. They'll undercut the leader. They'll challenge the leader. They'll malign the leader. They'll rally groups of people to rally against the leader, the anointed leader. And it's gross, but they all feel justified because they got themselves together in momentum in this cycle and they're all down there doing that. And if they can't remove the leader, then they remove themselves and they leave. And I think 99% of the sheep shifting in the church is this, remove. Here's the aha moment, though. This is all part, Satan is so stinking crafty, man. This action directly challenges that. And it undermines the very thing that can recalibrate the whole situation. the reason I never wanted to be a pastor but I predetermined to obey God do whatever he said how many of you have seen this cycle and pattern in life raise your hand yeah look around look around It's real, man. It's totally real. And if a community of people, if this community of people right here could recognize what it is and refuse, refuse to embrace the D, the half-truth, the lie, and refuse to live in this downward cycle and refuse to get to this point or this point and refuse to do that, we actually choose to say, you know what, I'm going to stay in community. I'm going to stay in a posture where truth and accountability inform and shape my identity. I'm going to let Jesus have lordship, his word to be the guiding principle, and his people to be the thing that keeps me on track. If you guys, if you could do that as a university community, I guarantee God would begin to do an awakening and a moving and a revival. Because the enemy would no longer have a foothold in undercutting the people of God. This is what he does to believers. It doesn't have to be this way. I, I have fallen into this. And, and I've got to tell you, it can happen, it can happen to any one of us, but it doesn't have to happen. 
So here's what I do. Uh, let me jump. Uh, and I'm kind of all over the place. Forgive me. I'm tired, but I'm also just saying what I think God wants me to say. So here's the deal. We need to live as a people of truth. If we don't live as a people of truth, we're vulnerable to this reality. So we need to live as a people of truth. That's what this thing does, and we need to lean into it. And I don't know if you ever heard this before. Um, you, ever, you ever know, like, horses, if horses feel threatened and they're in their group, they'll actually turn and face each other so that they're facing out and so that they can kick whatever threat comes at them. You ever heard of that? They actually face in. It's kind of interesting. But you know what donkeys do? They face out, put their back feet in, so they end up kicking each other. I think I just called us donkeys. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> Tracking the concept? All right, let's keep rolling here. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You guys know that verse, some of you do. So that the man of God, woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a specific... Um, part of scripture and look at this principle in the life of an individual and I want to share uh, about it from the life of somebody who was close to me that, that I just uh, worked through in my ministry journey along the way. So in 2 Samuel verse 15, um, anybody, who knows who Absalom is? Absalom, who is he? Shout out. Son of David. Son of David. And in 2 Samuel 15, this isn't going to be on the screen, I'm just going to read it to you, you can jump there if you want, but this first six verses of 2 Samuel 15, here's what happened. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him, provided himself with that stuff. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Verse 3, then Absalom would say, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who, was, who, who has a complaint or case should, could come to me, and, and I would see that they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him, endearing himself to them. And Absalom, verse 6, behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king, his dad, asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Okay. Absalom fell into that. We don't exactly know which D he embraced along the way. I could guess at that, but the reality is he fell into this pattern. At some point, he embraced a lie about who he was and who he was supposed to be. He wanted to be king. He wanted to be in charge. And maybe he was supposed to be, but like Moses, who took things into his own hands, he chose independence and thought he was supposed to be. He believed a lie. He spiraled down to the bottom, got down here, and went here. And he began to usurp authority. Sat at the city gate, intervened, communicated a lie, said, I'll take care of you. And in that process, he undermined and usurped. He destroyed something that he should never have destroyed. Now, the, the thing about this is that and it breaks my heart because he did it to his dad. And so if you're thinking that that proximity can prevent somebody from falling into this. That's not what stops it. What stops this process is truth. 
Not the proximity and relationship. It can happen in close relationship. It happened to Absalom. Absalom wanted to be king. He started to work and move in a place to take the crown. When I stepped into a transition with this man who served for 41 years in the church I currently lead in, there were people in the church who were telling me to push him out and force and take the crown from his head. Had that in my interview weekend. I said, look, I'm never going to do that. You're asking me to take anointed authority. You're asking me to move the crown. I will not do that. Go back in the Old Testament. Read when David, who was already anointed to be king, had his men say, go kill Saul. And David said, I cannot do that. He is, he is God's anointed leader. I'm not going to move the crown. He said, I'm not going to move the crown. The problem was the people telling me to do that were already down here, already doing this. Now, I'll tell you, it's only by the grace of God that I didn't get sucked into that. And I love this man. And he'd need our hearts together well before as we walked through the master's program here, ironically. When everybody, everybody loses when you, when you take independence. When you move a crown, when you think something's justified and you move a crown, it costs everybody in the dynamic. Um, I'll, be, I'll be real quick, just kind of, I'll just share this with you. I'm, I actually, all right, okay, so here's the deal. In my ministry journey, I had a close-in member, inner circle member of, of, my, of my ministry team fall into this all the way to the bottom, all the way to here, and all the way to here, and I did not know it. Sat in circles and meetings with me, wept and prayed with me, shared and envisions with, shared the vision and strategies with me, and only later came to find out what was happening when I, and it was happening outside and I didn't understand why and God has helped me work through and understand why out of this paradigm and I, I no pleasure in telling you this story I, not at all it breaks my heart I have no malice in it though when I learned at the bottom of my deepest pit that I no longer need to defend myself or protect myself God's my deliverer I can actually sit in places of pain and not turn to malice because of him not me in, in me I'd be all mad about it and stuff kicking people I don't, have to, I don't have to protect myself anymore. He's my deliverer. So, so I don't share this out of um, joy. I don't share this out of malice. I share this because it breaks my heart that, that people who deeply love Jesus, deeply love Jesus, who are working and serving in a way where they're trying to advance his kingdom, can, when they embrace the deed, they embrace the half-truth based the lie, they fall into this unless they embrace truth, unless they have the truth and accountability of community, they will ultimately end up at the bottom where they are destroying or killing I don't want that to happen to you. If you're going to chase the will of God, you're going to step boldly into it, the enemy is going to ramp up that stuff on you. Don't fall to it. Don't fall to it. And don't turn and face out where you're kicking everybody else inward. Lean into community. Face inward in community. Maintain truth and accountability in community. Your identity starts to be preserved. You're no longer as vulnerable in community. It's the lone wildebeest who wanders off to the side. It's the red-shirted Star Trek guy who doesn't come back from the away team. All that stuff. You stay in community, you face inward, and you kick outward. I believe God wants to do a new thing here, but it's going to require, it's going to require more than just a couple people to start to do this. It's going to require a movement across this body to refuse to live into that. Instead, to live into the pattern of knowing, loving, trusting, and obeying. We need to live as a people of truth.
I'm going to share one more thing about the will of God, and then we're going to wrap. Couldn't figure out where to share this, so I'm just going to share it here now after six conversations. When you're looking at the will of God, you got options in front of you. you got an A and a B. I told you the will of God's more like a channel than a tightrope. Heard that John preached about soccer goals and, and uh, archery targets. Nice illustration. Should have had him shoot something in here. So it's a channel more than a tightrope. So you're looking at A and B, and you're trying to figure out, is it A or is it B? You're using the channel markers, you got internal, external, concrete. You're trying to work through it. And I believe God does have bests in, in, in some scenarios. He has bests. There's a best. And let's say his best is A in this scenario. But you, with a, with a clear heart and a and truly sincere belief, you believe he wanted B, and you choose B. He somehow makes B A. Because he's not looking, he is looking at your heart. He is most concerned about the heart. And if you choose B when he wanted A with the right heart, he still takes pleasure in that. He is not limited to that. So don't be afraid of stepping when you think you, what it is. We can get like paralyzed, like, is it A or B? I don't know what to do. Ah." We don't do anything. We decide, but we don't jump. We don't act. So if you choose B with the right heart, move on. He's going to come alongside and make B A. Here's the deal, though. If you choose A, the best, with a crappy heart, he's disgusted already. He is focused more on the heart, so don't get paralyzed on like, this or that, this or that. Stay with your heart aligned, stay independent, let internal, external, concrete, don't give in, don't, don't fall into that garbage over there. Stay in a posture where you say, God, I love you, I depend on you, I need you to be my protector, my deliverer, not me, not you, and, uh, not me, and I will, I will risk with you, and I will release with you, and I will respond to whatever you do. And you choose B when he meant A, drive on, man. He's more concerned about your heart. I don't intentionally choose B when you know he wants A. That's wrong. You tracking that? All right. Finally worked that in. There we go. All right, so as we step out in obedience, we chase hard after God, you partner with him, and you pray faithfully to him, you beg him to do what only he can, you're going to have more trouble. Satan's going to ramp up that stuff over there. The spiritual battle intensify. There will be trouble. But remember, he's overcome the world. Take heart. Resist the lies, resist the temptation, resist the temptation to run. Resist the temptation to run to isolation, fear, and victim mentality. Again, we justify that like, it's good, I'm protecting myself, it's wise, it's good, smart. Yes, it's dangerous, I shouldn't risk. No, listen, dependence always requires risk. Trust always requires risk. Don't compromise unity. Don't blow up community. Community provides truth and accountability that keeps their identity rooted. And instead of leaning into a D and trying to do something on your own, stand in his power. Stand on his word. Stand in his truth. Stand in a posture of dependence, and he will move. We are in a very real battle, one that comes with a a ripple into eternity. It's move and counter-move 24-7. And C.S. Lewis aptly said it this way. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. That's good truth. So my friends, I want to encourage you to every day choose to stand. Stand your ground in his power, in full dependence, and after everything, stand. So here's what we're going to do now. Cam and the team are going to come, and we're going to worship.
I want to create space for a couple of things, though. If you have found yourself over here, you're, you've contemplated suicide or you're just self-defeated, you're discouraged, you just have given up on the journey, I want to encourage you to come to a space, come along here down to the front if somebody can pray with you. On the flip side of that, if you've ended up over here, if you've ended up over here and you've been the person who has harmed, blamed, or removed, you need to reconcile that. And if the person, in this, is per, the person you've done that to is in this room, you need to get out of your seat, go over to them, and you need to seek forgiveness. You say, I believed a lie. I'm so sorry. I believed a lie, and I have taken a posture of harming, blaming, or removing. Removing you from communities that we sit in. I'm no longer your friend, and I don't sit at your table anymore, and I treat you differently because of this thing that we think just happened. Do Matthew 18, people. You get sinned against, you go. Do Matthew 5, you, got, you know somebody's got a sin against you, you leave your gift at the altar and you go. If you've been over here, go reconcile that. Don't let it sit. But here's the thing. As we have this conversation with God, we wrap up this whole thing, I'm done. When we have conversations with God, they don't have to be solemn. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We serve a victorious, risen king. So we're going to actually celebrate in this time. You need to do business with God, do it, but it's not going to be solemn. We're going to be celebratory because we are more than conquerors because he is the one who was and is to, is to come. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we don't have to get into this because this is, Satan has no power of us. The only reason this works is because we give him access. We believe what he offers. We take of the fruit in the garden and we spiral down into the lie. So you have within your power the ability to stand and everything stand in the power of Jesus when you stand on truth. So stand with me right now. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to take time to have the conversation with God you need to have, but this is going to be celebratory. We're going to sing, we're going to celebrate, and we are going to praise the one true God who was and is and is to come, who positions us to be more and more his people in the image of his son. So Cam, take us away as we roll on. Hey, before we go, I want to say two things. One of the things I've observed from the front of the Bible to the back of the Bible is that when God wants to do something great, he uses somebody to do it. He uses Moses to hold the staff out over the Red Sea. He uses David. He uses somebody. He uses Joshua. This week he used Sean. Thank you for being God's man to us this week. Thanks for sharing truth to us in a challenging way. Second thing I want to say is there are some of you who are down here at the bottom of this spiral, and God told you to say, God, here I am. I'm claiming truth, and I'm allowing you to lift me back up. But you didn't respond because you thought, I've done this before, only to fall back down. And I've done it before, and only to fall back down. And I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do it. Listen to what it says. Jude, maybe the brother of Jesus, says, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. All glory to God who keeps you from falling. That's God's promise to you. He can, he will, if you let him and give your best to him. Thanks so much for coming this week. Don't stop now. Keep chasing God.
God, as we give ourselves to you, you receive us with joy. As we bring our mess to you, you receive us with grace. As we bring our commitment to you, you pour through your power into us. May we be men and women who change the world through the grace of Jesus Christ and his power at work within us. And it's in his mighty name we pray, amen. God bless you, go change this world.